The Bible reading today comes from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 26, and we're commencing at verse 36. This is set in the Garden of Gethsemane. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed a third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Well, folks, let's bow our heads to pray before we open God's word. Uh, thank you, Lord, that you've given us your word to sustain us until we meet you. Uh, Lord, your word can be hard, it can be simple, it can be delightful, and it can cast judgments, Lord. We want you to speak to us today, Father. We want you to strengthen us, to guide us, to say the good things and the hard things as well. The Lord, we may ever be fashioned closer to your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So as I said in my introduction, we're going to look at Gethsemane. It is a hard word today, and it's a hard word that you wouldn't get if we're talking about Easter. Excuse me, if we're talking about Easter Sunday or Palm Sunday, but we're not. We're looking at Gethsemane, and I don't know how many times you've heard Gethsemane preached on, but I think it's a it's a great treasure trove of spiritual wealth that maybe gets too often overlooked. So here we go. Max Licardo did this genius quote. He wrote this genius quote, as he always does, Max. The Bible is the story of two gardens, Eden and Gethsemane. In the first, Adam took a fall. In the second, Jesus took a stand. Don't you like it? There's a great contrast there between what um, Eden and Gethsemane meant. Gethsemane's going forward 
and Eden was going down. So, Pete's read us the Bible passage, which is a very common passage, which I'm sure you understand. Now, there is a danger in gardens. Eden had a snake. That was the danger. Very comfortable, very pleasant. But there was a snake or a serpent, which is how the Bible describes it, in Eden. Now, Gethsemane did something too that was quite a... Quite seducing is probably the best word for the disciples. As indeed the snake seduced Eve and Adam, the disciples are seduced by comfort. Because quite often that is what gardens offer. It is in the pleasantness of gardens I must get my decisions correct. As to no doubt with the hanging gardens of Babylon. Babylon, as we've seen earlier, is a competitor to Jerusalem. In Eden, there was a pleasant garden that was perfect. In Babylon, there was one of the wonders of the world. So I wonder if there's even a parallel there with the hanging gardens of Babylon and Eden and Gethsemane. Just a speculation. But certainly there are well-known gardens in more than just folklore. Because in gardens there the lights can weaken resolve and create a threatening negligence. For comfort is enticing. Spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. Now, we know that happened with the disciples. They went to sleep, fell asleep three times for the good Lord when he wanted them awake. Comfort overtook devotion. Comfort overtook Jesus' call and cry on their life. Now, before we go further into the disciples and Jesus' tears in Gethsemane, I want to have a peek inside. This, I trust, is honest and reveals my heart to you somewhat. I want the Jesus of my journey to be the crucified one. The signature at the bottom of my page, my life's page, is a cross between two others until I meet him. When we meet, my life shall be more clearer, for the cross will be replaced by a white robe, one I don't own now, not literally own, and it's one I don't deserve. It will be Jesus' robe of righteousness. He shall drape across my shoulders. I will receive his robe then. Now Jesus' Father sees me in righteousness, but it's because of Jesus' blood for me. So my sins and my strivings, my wounds and my battle scars shall be known no more. And then finally the cross is replaced with comfort. The disciples of Jesus didn't understand the cross and didn't understand what was after the cross. They sought comfort their side of the cross. And we too do seek comfort the other side of the cross, but before we reach heaven. But now, oh, excuse me, the cross is replaced with comfort. But now is still the time to carry the cross. Because my life is not my own. I have been bought at a price. And isn't that not what Easter is about? carrying my cross for Jesus until I meet him, till I, till I meet him or till he returns, whichever comes first. My life does not belong to myself, but he belongs to he who bought my life for me at the cross. Now the disciples were yet to learn that, although Jesus knew it with great sadness. Surely this is what Easter is about, the claiming of our persons to the service and the salvation that he's offered. Now, I want this to be the signature at the bottom of my last page. 
the three crosses with one in the middle, higher, more noticeable, and maybe even with more blood across it. I don't know. But that's the signature I seek on my life's page. And maybe under that, somewhere, the Lord may, may pencil in, well done, good and faithful servant. For is that not all a disciple needs or could ever yearn for? So, Gethsemane holds no pillows. For those that think the Calvary, sorry, for those that think there is no Calvary without first a Gethsemane. We have to go through the pain to get the gain. There was no Easter Sunday, there was no Good Friday if Jesus did not first learn to live faithfulness in Gethsemane. Gethsemane is the first stop to self-death. Now, if I haven't learned to die to myself, kneeling in the garden of Gethsemane, kneeling in any garden, when there's travail and pain on your soul, when maybe even you feel like weeping tears of blood, when you deny yourself there, you're in your own Gethsemane. Now, just before Jesus died, not long before he dies, in John's Gospel, Jesus says to his disciples, Very truly I tell you, Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. That's strong language, isn't it? Putting hate in our lives against what we value for ourselves so that we can serve him. Whoever serves me, Jesus says, must follow me. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honour will honor the one who serves me. Now that's the, that's the challenge of the Christian life. It's the challenge of Gethsemane to die to self before you actually have to die. But that's what Jesus did. He who wants to follow Jesus will follow him in his footsteps. The things he asks us to do will not be any harder than the things he's already done for us. Now, it seems to me we're in the place of a timeless human condition. Imagine Jesus turning three times to three sleeping followers. When he wanted his mates the most, his mates weren't there for him. They were overcome by the flesh. Although this spirit may well have been wanting to serve, their flesh won as always. That's timeless, timeless condition of humans. We served the flesh before we served the spirit. Now the time to decide for obedience will always arise. Jesus rouses disciples at sleep. Their alertness is required. And we live in a generation now that needs to have its Christian alertness fired. Needs to have its Christian alertness with a rocket under it. Needs to have its Christian, uh, Christian alertness ready for the wit opportunity to witness because now are the days where the timeless human condition can take us away from Jesus or we can choose to continue to walk in his, in his sandals. In the cold morning, his clear instructions are a little match for, for their weary flesh. A disciple's inability to rule his flesh is a timeless human failing. This malaise still afflicts the closest of followers those that were Jesus' inner core, arguably his three best mates, still let him down. Now, none of us are literally as close to Jesus 
as the disciples were, and they let him down. It's only pride that tells ourselves that they told Peter when he said he would not deny Jesus. It's only pride that tells ourselves that we'll stick in there no matter how hard it gets with Jesus or gets for Jesus. That's pride speaking until you've been in Gethsemane and knelt. Now what Gethsemane does for the believer, it captures a window into discipleship's humanity. There's a dependent saviour sadly looking upon independent disciples, independent lives. He needs them there for him, but they are still there for themselves. It's sad, isn't it? We can commit ourselves to Jesus, we can pray a prayer of forgiveness, and we can go away and forget about it. Without restraint, Gethsemane still calls to those who would follow, those who would subdue the flesh, because Gethsemane bids alert when I demand sleep. When I demand to be released from Gethsemane, it says, no, be alert, subdue the flesh. So I have to ask this um, this question that A.W. Tozer penned, one of my heroes, one of my spiritual heroes. Is Christianity just an adornment? Is it a decoration or is there reality at the back of it? That's the question we have to ask ourselves when we're in that position where we decide I'm going to stay asleep in my Gethsemane or I'm going to stand up and be spiritually alert. It's the timeless human condition. Now I want you to think on this for a moment. The martyrdom you are able to exact will mirror the influence you are able to exert, the fruit you are able to bear. The more I deny myself, the more fruit will be born. The less I desire, uh, deny myself, the less fruit will be born. Now Jesus bought, yielded, harvested the most fruit that anyone has ever done and can ever do, any human, through the death on his cross. But if I don't die on my cross, the legacies I leave and the martyrdom I exact are compromised. One day, the Lord's going to ask what we did with his fruit, with his uh, talents he's given us, Matthew 25. And he'd like to see our results. Guys, there is fruit we are able to bear. There is a legacy we are able to leave. That's what we aim for. It's not the most money in the bank. It's most fruit falling from the tree. Please, consider that. The martyrdom you are able to exact will mirror the influence you are able to exert. The fruit you are able to bear is directly related to how much you deny yourself. That's what Gethsemane is about. It's about self-denial, isn't it? Now I've got to ask, is there a cup of salvation without first a cup of suffering? There has to be a Gethsemane. First there is a Gethsemane and then there are the nails. That's the order of events that Jesus says we follow in John 12. If I have not died in my Gethsemane, after Gethsemane I'll lose my way and return to my old ways. You've only got to wind the story forward to John 20 and 21 and the, and the disciples were out fishing. Six days after Jesus had died, the disciples are back fishing. If I have not died to myself, I will quickly lose my way and return to my old ones. But remember, the old ones were the ones that Jesus was asking us to put behind our back. He is not worthy to serve in the kingdom of God who does not put his back to the plough. To the plough. So how can I know when I've knelt in Gethsemane? When I know I've been through my own Gethsemane, how do I know? 
You know because you have not slept during your travail, but instead you have cried out, Lord, your will, not mine, be done. When you face those times when everything inside of you wants to flee and you've said, Lord, your will, but not mine, be done, I have, I have walked through Gethsemane. I have knelt in Gethsemane and I have copied my master, my good Lord. It's all about pushing through the travail and not fleeing the travail. It's all about being alert and not being asleep. Then I have been through Gethsemane. There is no cup of salvation unless there is first a cup of suffering. Now can we tie this together? The next time you wonder if Jesus really perceives the pain that prevails on this dusty planet, listen to him pleading among the twisted olive trees. This is Max Licardo's quote. Your will, not mine, be done. The next time you kneel and you're in pain that prevails, do you say, your will, not mine, be done? It is a good thing to die to self, for who is more likely to hurt me, me or Jesus? I want to ask that question over and over and over again. Who is more likely to hurt me, me or Jesus? Well, I think if I make my indulgent decisions, they're the ones that are going to hurt me more than following the good Lord Jesus Christ. He has good plans for me and he wants me to be in heaven with him. Why would I not want to decide for him ahead of me? It's easy to say to Jesus... Yeah, I want to follow you. But Jesus is saying, it's my way or none. It's not two Venn diagrams overlapping. It's not a little bit of Jesus and a lot of me. It's not a lot of Jesus and a little bit of me. It's Jesus all the way. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So Jesus does not intend to hurt me. So I'd much rather take his decisions than my decisions for me. Now here's the hard point of today. It's true, it's hard, and I'm sorry it's difficult, but it's, tr it's, it's true. It is in my Gethsemane I learn who I truly belong to and what I was created for. What does he ask you for? But you delay and you resist. Jesus seeks helpers and not heroes. Can I just repeat that last sentence? It is in my Gethsemane I learn who I try, truly belong to, whether I belong to myself or the good Lord. And then I learn what I was created for. What does Jesus ask of you? What is going on in your heart that you delay or going on in your heart that you resist? Because what Jesus wants to do, he wants to look around and see you not asleep but alert. He wants to see you a helper and not a hero. He's not looking for heroes. He's looking for those that will be alert for him. Can we bow our heads in prayer? Almighty Lord, these are hard words, but touch our hearts because they're all true. Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't already given to us himself. And he did it first in the, at the mountain, Lord, with this, confronted by Satan, but then he does it again with great greater difficulty in Eden, in, in Gethsemane. O oh Lord, we pray that our hearts will be strong and as toes are asked, Lord, that there will be a backbone to our faith that will stand strong and grow ever stronger forever. We thank you, Father, for the blessing of your word and the blessing of Christ in our lives. 
May we sit with the comfortable words as well as the hard words and not neglect either. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.